the difference between knowing if it's a, if they really are trying to scam you or if they're trying to figure it out and they're doing their best, but they're just not meeting those results. Welcome back to the Career Therapy Podcast. My name is Martin McGovern, and today we have a special guest with us, Nathan Garrett. Nathan is the Marketing Director at Blade Marketing LLC. Nate, thanks for joining us this morning. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Absolutely. I'm excited to get into the conversation today and talk to you a little bit about your experiences in entrepreneurship, in freelancing, your work. Uh, You've gone through boot camps. You've had quite a history. So let's kick this off uh, with the most infamous interview question. Nate, tell us about yourself. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. So Nathan Garrett, I am the marketing director at Blade Marketing. And so what we primarily do there is we help other marketing agencies generate book calls for their agency and help them close deals so that we can always bring in more revenue. Nice. And when you're, uh, when you're going in doing the day-to-day, what, what does it look like to be a director of marketing? Yeah, good question. So it's, it's been quite the journey to get to this point where I've been a project manager in multiple areas online, digital space, when it comes to design or marketing. And so my day-to-day really is a lot of myself coming in and having to motivate. I have two team members under me. So we usually have like a little briefing when I, um, the first thing in the morning. And then from there, we figure out what we're gonna do that day, any bottlenecks that we're going through and go from there. And then we kind of split off and we have our own projects that we're working on. That's awesome. And you've had a pretty interesting journey getting to this point. Uh, you know, we've worked together in the past uh, when you were part of a boot camp, and yeah. uh, we, we won't say the name of any of the boot camps or anything. But um, you know, we we've definitely you, you've had quite a journey. So I'd love to rewind the clock because you've had experiences with entrepreneurship, freelancing, collaborating with right. business partners, working full time. So I'm, I'm I'd love for you to just sort of give us the high high-level view of how you perceive your career, and then we can maybe zoom in on certain areas that I think might be really interesting for the audience. Yeah, yeah, for sure. There's been a lot of areas I've been in. Um, Well, just a high-level overview of my journey to where I, how I got here. I started in school as an accounting major, so I was in business. I did that, graduated, didn't really want to go into the real world at that time. I think I was just young and I wasn't sure how that would be for myself. So I went from there and I started my own tutoring business where I tutored other accounting students and that kind of just took off. But um, as you know, right, with any consultant, you only have so much time, right? And either you charge a lot for your hour or you have to scale up somehow to make more money, basically bring in more revenue. So I started recording these videos of accounting lectures, helping students with their tests. And that actually led me into where I am today because I had to figure out how to market um, that platform where I was teaching and having videos, that type of thing. So that's how I got into digital marketing, which I went in from there. So entrepreneur, right? Kind of jumping around a little bit. From there, I got really excited about owning my own marketing agency. Did that for a little bit, which was very challenging. Um, 
because why why did you want to make that switch to owning your own uh marketing agency so i mean it's it's a pretty interesting switch from accounting to marketing and what is fun about being an entrepreneur is you get to taste everything so if you've ever wanted to have a crash course in all the different types of jobs that exist in the world being an entrepreneur is a way to do it uh but what was that what did that look like for you why why that change what what drew you to the marketing world it's a good question yeah so why that change i think i think i when i just started to because i had this accounting platform right where i was teaching and providing these videos to students but it's one of those things where now if i would have gone back a few years i would have done a lot more research and testing up front before i created this platform but you know you gotta you gotta try things right <laughs> so i did i made this platform with all these videos and i started getting into digital marketing and it was something that just switched over where I was like, I really enjoy this a lot more. Like, I really, really enjoy it. And so that's kind of how I was like, okay, I'm going to try to start my own agency because I enjoy the work so much and I want to provide that service for other clients. That's awesome. And when, it, when you got to the marketing side of things, what did you enjoy most about marketing? Like what, what do you feel mm-hmm. is I, sometimes, you know, cause I have a marketing background and I'm, I'm, I'm a marketer for my business, but it's different than being a marketer, if that makes sense. And so I'm curious, you know, what are some of the things that, you know, I can be sometimes a little cynical on the live stream about marketing, but it is, it is (laughs) essential and it is necessary for any business and health. This podcast is marketing. So obviously I'm not against it. So um, I'm curious, like, where do you find the value of marketing to be? If you were going to talk to some of the cynics out there. Man, and there's a lot of them. And I can understand that. That was one of the reasons I left the industry for two years. We can get into that. Um, Because yeah, overall, the industry can, it can transform businesses, but it can also overpromise and underdeliver. That's what I ran into more often than not. uh, People overpromising, underdelivering. So I'm, by this point, I would call myself more of an ethical marketer. That's how I like to see myself. Kind of like an because, ethical hacker. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because it's, it's sad that you even have to put that adjective in front of it. Uh, but at this point, I feel like I need to differentiate. And I know a lot of other people that have done the same thing where if they don't believe in the business or the product that they're promoting, they're not going to do it. Mm-hmm. And I do fall in that camp more often than not. Not always, right? Because sometimes you have to balance with I have a sales division in my agency and they bring in clients, you know, and I can't always have my say in it, but for the most part, we are aligned on that same view of ethical marketing, making sure that not only we're having a strong sales team that can bring in clients, but we have a strong backend that can provide a quality service and retain those clients. Client retention is one of our biggest goals because if they stick around, we're doing a good job. Absolutely. So let's let's take a look at, I love this concept of ethical marketing. I, I don't think I've ever actually heard it said out loud in that way before. Maybe it is like a whole genre that I'm now very excited mm-hmm. to get into. Um, and so, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of things happening around ethics in business, right? There's, you know, um, I'm trying to remember what it is, what the corporation status is of like, um, people that are trying to be ethical or, or very, it's like a B Corp or something like that. 
not entirely yeah. sure, but I'm not sure. Um, what are what are the areas? Let's start with let's start with the negative. Why not? What are the yeah, areas yeah. <laughs> where marketing goes wrong? Like I know there's a lot of stuff out there around. Um, you know, even the field that I'm in has a lot of fishy stuff. And so I'm curious, where do you, where have you, and do you see marketing going off the rails? That's a, it's a good question. There's a lot into this, but I'll try to keep it brief. So. Well, please don't. <laughs> yeah. It, get, get in the yeah, weeds. If you, yeah. I mean, what I've, I mean, obviously we've seen, um, if anyone's been on YouTube, right. You've seen the YouTube videos of any type of guru in their space. This is a very common, um, occurrence online now especially there's a another marketer i know that's in my same camp she calls it bro marketing where you have these videos guys in front of their mansion they got lamborghinis behind them right maybe some women and they're throwing money in the air whatever it might be right the the supreme money gun yeah supreme money gun and it is such good like as a marketer i understand this stuff it's such good bait because i mean you know the 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 uh the funnel and marketing aida right you got to start with awareness walk us through yeah Yeah. okay so you got to start with awareness and those types of videos are really good to get people aware of whatever they might be selling because you have all these flashy things at the first now more often than not though those types of gurus are, are actually just marketers they know how to market really well but there's no real like product there's no substance behind it that's actually going to help people now that's not all of them but more often than not you come across these like scam marketers that they're just very good at marketing at something anything but yeah. will it anything but will it actually the product itself behind that will it actually do what they're saying it will do most of the time it's embellishment exaggeration on like typical results for someone. And I've been on the other end of that. I've purchased products and realized that. Anything stand and out so, to you? Um, well, I mean, I was part of a program that kind of got me to this point where I'm at. They did help me along my journey to understand how to run an agency, how to do proper digital marketing. But also within that product, there was a lot of unethical practices when it came to overpromising under delivering one specific instance. And I'm not going to name names obviously was um, so just to kind of backtrack, I was going to run an agency, start one. And to do that, you know, this as well, you have to generate leads for your business. Cause if you don't have any customers coming in that are interested, you don't, you don't have, have a business. business. <laughs> you yeah. don't have a no, business. no business. Right. But there are two parts of that, right? You have to be able to generate the attraction for customers to come in on the other side of it though, you have to have a sales team that can actually take these customers, get them on a phone call and close them. Cause if you don't have those two parts going, there is no business. It's that simple. So I, where my strength was on the lead gen side, I'm a digital guy. I can set up all these little things where literally you just open up your calendar every day and you see book calls of customers that are interested. I'm very good at that. The sales side of things is not my area. I tried it. Um, I believe I could have gotten pretty good at it. But as far as you know this, if you don't like something day to day, you're miserable. Mm-hmm. You're not going to want to get good at it. It just, right. you don't have the passion, right? So 
Um, that was my weakness was the sales side. And this program, they promised to give me a closer. So like, Hey, you're, you're generating leads. Here's a closer. We're going to train him and we're going to, we're going to hand him over to you. So what I did is based on that promise, um, I spent more money to generate more calls contingent on that promise. They never trained that person. They just handed them to me. I didn't know what I was doing, right? As far as a salesman. And it was a long struggle just to get this person to kind of learn how to close. And I'm not even one to teach him, right? So that was one unethical thing they did where they promised something to me. I spent more money based on that promise. And in the end, uh, there was no closed deals. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And so how has that informed your work moving forward? So, you know, there's all these different, and, and part of it is, part of it is overselling, underdelivering. Another part of yes. it is, you know, in the world of marketing, we're always trying to weave a good story of some sort, right? And, right. and you know, there's, there's kind of a fine line between people who are trying to provide really good services and just not doing a good job and people mm. actively manipulating to maximize a return on a crummy product. Right. And I think that that is also an interesting area where it's like not every poor outcome is a scam. Sometimes it's just, it's rough to run a business. <laughs> right. uh, and, and uh, but then there are the scams, right? The people that legit like behind the scenes are, are writing, like these people are morons and I can't wait to take all their money kind of a thing. So it's an interesting dynamic. This example that you gave, is it kind of on the border of those two things? It, that's sort right. of what it sounds like to me. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, it was on the border. I mean, I think they meant well. It's, I have another story about that too. And this comes back to just really any business, not marketing, not agencies, right. but having the proper systems in place on the back end to be able to onboard clients. You have what they call SOPs, standard operating procedures, something that is a document that you can look at and you can hand to any contractor. They can replicate the process, right? So that's where I think this company that I had invested in, basically, that's where I think they fell short is they didn't intend to shortchange me, but they just didn't have the right systems in place on the back end to keep everything organized. I think they just forgot, overlooked it, all these things, right? Too many clients and not enough people on the back end to support those clients, if that makes sense. That makes sense, yeah. And that's so, a good point you made earlier about the the difference between knowing if it's a, if they really are trying to scam you or if they're trying to figure it out and they're doing their best, but they're just not meeting those results. Exactly, it's and a, that's where- It's a great like, way to look at it. Well, and that's where you can start to see like, well, you know, with these people, is there a, re a refund option? Are there like other things that, you know, make up for it? Are they trying to provide other types of support that might make up? Anyway, so when, when folks are out there and they're, you know, we, we get hit with what, like some like 4,000 marketing messages before lunch or something like that. Do you know yeah. what the stats are? I don't, I don't, a lot of LinkedIn outreach. I'm sure everyone that's listening to this right now knows exactly what's going on on LinkedIn when they open their inbox and it's like, wait, who is this? They're, they're pitching me within the first message. Oh who yeah. Is this? I, don't even know, I don't know who this person is. So there's, there is that route. If you want to get into as far as cold outreach, you can definitely spam 
and send as many messages out as you can, right? Without even remembering who's on the other side of that uh, message. And then you'll get a certain percentage that will reply, a certain percentage that will maybe be interested, right? But I don't know about you in this, uh, as we see that more and more and more, right? These types of spammy messages, the people that stand out are gonna be the ones that provide value first without anything in return, just providing value and what they call kind of like permission-based marketing, where in, in the end, you're, you're kind of asking for permission to, to be able to speak with this person. Interesting. Can you go a little deeper on that? What, what exactly is permission-based marketing? Yeah, so it's a, it's a different approach than just spamming people and hoping for the best. The approach is more of a, coming from a place of value and education on whatever it is you might, you might have. So you can give someone a free... PDF or a free cheat sheet on something they might be interested in, but you kind of move them through the sequence of value and education and touch points right throughout, but you're not selling anything per se. You're just providing value. And then through that, it's kind of a form of by the end of that value sequence, so to speak, if you do bring up a product or a service it's coming from a place of, hey, I've given you a lot of value. I wanted to make sure you are the most informed on what I'm trying to give you. Now I have this thing that could be a solution to your problem. Would you be interested? You're kind of asking permission at that point. That type of sale or cold outreach, whatever you might call it, is, is the most effective. And it's the most uh, sustainable because you're giving first as opposed to trying to take, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And there's actually a great book out there called Give and Take that people should check out. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's awesome. And so, all right, so you've, you've gone through this experience. So you were part of a company and you were trying out the more entrepreneurial side of things. So, um, and you came across some issues with, you know, what was happening in their way of marketing. Is that right? Yeah. Most of the agencies I worked with, um, most of what I saw in the industry was what I would call more of the unethical type of marketing, but what they call in the agency world, they call it churn and burn, meaning you are so heavy on the sales side of things where you're, you can generate leads, you can close deals, but you are neglecting the support side, the service side, all of that backend stuff. You're neglecting it because you're so focused on bringing in new revenue. So what the product of that is, is that you are always bringing in new clients, but you're not retaining any of them because you can't provide a good service. And it gives the marketing industry a really bad name. Um, a lot of people probably view it that way, which makes sense because a lot of people view it as they're just trying to sell me. Like that's it. As opposed to I'm coming in to figure out what problem you might have and if there is a possible solution I can give to you, there's a difference. Like, I'm not trying to sell you here. I'm just trying to learn about you and see, oh, that's interesting. So you're having trouble with generating book calls for your agency. We have a product that actually can solve that problem for you. That's what I like about it. The solution-based marketing, if you want to call it that as well. Yeah, I like that a lot. And one of the unfortunate realities is just the numbers game, right? If you're doing a solutions-based approach, you're really targeting people. You're really building connections with people. Your, your numbers are lower. Your numbers of outreach are lower. So fewer people get that good kind of marketing. Whereas if you're doing mass marketing, if you're doing spammy marketing, you're hitting everyone. So 
everyone has had experience with spammy marketing, but not everyone has had experience with this like more hands-on tailored approach that's a little bit more personal. And that's an unfortunate reality of just how numbers <laughs> and, and these things work. It's across all businesses, like agencies, we call it churn and burn. I mean, other businesses, they'll, if whatever their product or service is, it's the same style. They'll, they'll just sell, sell, sell. And like you said, experience, right? You're not remembering the user experience of it. It is user experience at the end of the day, understanding who your prospect is and what their actual needs are. I don't want to give you a solution to something that's not a problem you're having. It just makes no sense. It's incongruent. I appreciate you sharing this with us because I think there's, you know, being a marketer as well, and I've talked about this on the live stream quite a bit. You know, I worked in uh, credit cards in my first marketing job. And, you know, if you use a credit card correctly, aka mm. you pay it off every month and you just collect your rewards, it can actually have some slight benefits. I'm sure people would argue with that, that you spend more because you have plastic and all that kind of stuff. So it might even eat its own margin. But it was one of those fields where, you know, I started having some ethical questions as well of like mm. how, you know, we do better when you do worse. Like it, that's kind of the idea that went through my head. Yeah. And I made a conscious effort to change from that work. You know, and again, I don't want to like demonize people that I've worked with or anything. Like there are benefits to credit cards and I'm not totally tossing them in the trash. I use them still. But what I'm saying is like, for me, it was, it was a partially ethical uh, decision to move into something else. And, and I went into advertising and I, I appreciate you sharing your story here because um, especially in the marketing world, you know, people tend to get into it thinking it's madmen. They get into it thinking it's like art. They get into it with their favorite commercial in mind. And then they're doing radio spots with like a really high pitched voice that's just screaming at you through the speakers. And, right. and there it's, it's yeah. interesting to see that dynamic. And what I noticed early on in my marketing career, and one of the reasons I'm a coach today is people get pretty um, disillusioned uh, when they get into the marketing world early on. And I think, you know, you, you either come to terms with it or you move into a different industry. And, and what I found is a lot of people would like, I don't know why, maybe I just have a, a trustworthy face or whatever, um, or, or maybe I'm just non, non-judgmental. I don't know. But uh, people would complain to me about like their worries about being in the marketing field and how certain things felt good. Like one, one particular example, uh, someone came up to me and they're like, my company is wanting to access all my LinkedIn contacts and have me use my personal network in order to sell the business. And, and I see that all the time. I'll see people using their personal LinkedIn to spam people. And it's like, you have to live on beyond this company. You, you can't ruin your reputation. It's like, you should use their software and ruin their reputation, not your own. Um, So I found that to be interesting. I, I appreciate you sharing your marketing story because there is kind of this, um, you know, push and pull in the marketing world of like trying to walk that fine line of, I enjoy doing this. I'm good at doing this. It has a real business benefit and no business can function without it. So it's a necessity, but there are these worrisome things that we have to navigate around. And, and that kind of exploration that a marketer goes through um, and that mental sort of journey, it's, I'm curious to hear how that went for you because you've made a few changes away from marketing and back towards marketing. And I've done a similar thing where, 
you know, I'm a coach now, but I'm a coach who runs a business who does marketing. So it's like, you have full, to. yeah, it's like a full circle, to. right? It's like, I ran yeah. away from marketing just to be running a business where every day I do content. So um, right. I'm curious <laughs> for you, yeah. you know, where has that, where have those like moments of epiphany been for you or those moments mm -hmm. of realization where you wanted to get away or you wanted to get back into it? Yeah. And just to touch on that real quick. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, with any business, anyone who starts a business, you have to understand that whatever the service that you're passionate about that you want to provide to someone, if you own that business, that is not going to be the only thing you're doing. You have to do the other parts of the business to keep it running. So that makes sense that it's funny you went from a coach, like I'm just going to have a coaching business, but now I'm like, oh, I'm doing content marketing. I'm doing more marketing than I've ever done. <laughs> It's just part of it. And you're doing a great job. I'm, I won't lie. I do, I do watch your stuff on LinkedIn. I don't watch everything, but I see the strategy that you're employing. I see it from a holistic point of view. And your branding is on point. I, I love your that, branding. Man. With every piece of content, you spent some time on it. I, I imagine you hired some designers to help you with that. Nope, do it all in Canva. Really? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I do I have a little bit of a design background, so... That's another thing, because you went into the UX world for a little right. bit. So tell us about yeah. that transition. Yeah, so kind of what we were talking about earlier, yeah, I had run into too many other marketing agencies, and just in the general marketing world of, I just had this overall, for lack of a better word, disgust at what I was seeing over and over again, where the client was the last priority, sales were the first priority, and... I remember distinctly being part of an agency. I think I just partnered with them and I was doing some back-end work for them. And we were struggling, struggling with uh, delivering results, right? And the agency though thought everything was great. Like we're, we're meeting with the client once a week. We give them a report. They like how the report looks. And I'm just like, but we're not actually providing ROI here. It's just overall fluff of like, but the meeting went well type of thing. Like, who cares about the meeting? Like, we're not actually, we're trying to figure it out, but, and the client's getting upset after a while because they're not getting their ROI, et cetera. That was kind of the final straw for me. I was like, I got to try something else. I want to get out of this industry. Not only what I was seeing, but also I was struggling as an agency owner to close deals. That was my weakness, right? So it just wasn't working. But I like tech. I like software and I looked into user experience design because I know there was a lot of overlap between digital marketing and that. I was like, you know, this could be a, it's a hot career field. I could um, go into it and I could provide meaningful work, right? As a UX designer. And so that was kind of um, the catalyst for all of it. I just jumped out of the marketing industry, signed up for a boot camp to go into user experience design. And that's kind of where I met you. And what was it about that, um, the time that you spent there? Like, what, was there anything that was kind of a relief from the marketing world? Was there anything that once you got into that field, you noticed, ah, oh, this has its own issues and, and things that mm. you had to worry about there? Because, you know, I think anytime we make a change, we always assume it's going to be like, you know, grass is always greener, right? But, but then once you get into something, there's always more you know, there's more to the story than we, than we expect. And so I'm curious, like, what was that transition like for you? Yeah. Good question. Yeah. I mean, I had expectations for sure. And that's how everything is, right? When you 
when you're moving and transitioning to something else, you have an expectation of how it should go. I would say it's interesting because a lot of my business knowledge I brought into that within design, you know, it's, it's still, it's still a business you're going to be working for. And the biggest challenge I would say that designers face, and I've spoken with many of them just through informational interviews, the thing that kept coming up over and over again, and that I saw as well was that balancing the user's needs and the business goals. And in reality, a lot of times in a perfect world, it'd be nice 50, 50, or, you know, if you wanted to divide it up differently, but in the real world, a lot of times the business goals can really overshadow what the, the users need at the end of the day, because they need to bring in revenue. They have their income statements, they have their investors, whatever it might be. There's a lot of pressure on that end. And so that was an unforeseen challenge that I saw in that industry that was kind of, it was interesting for me because I actually understood all the business side of things and the user experience part is where I was still learning. When a lot of my peers, it was flipped. They were really, really good on the design side of things, but understanding the business side of things as far as why they're getting pressure to do this and that that was kind of where they weren't sure about. So that was what I saw the most often in UX design. Yeah. And so what was that journey back to marketing like for you? Right. So after going through the boot camp and being in that field, it wasn't too long, but I learned a lot. I'd say that from being in that boot camp, I learned a lot from my peers as far as the way they approached certain problems. The 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 one word I would say to most designers I met, what they are like is very thoughtful. And I had lacked that for a while. I was more of a, more, I guess, more aggressive when it came to solving problems, right? But they took a different approach, which is what I learned the most from. Because I was able to take that same approach in UX design, understanding the, the journey of the user and what they're feeling along the way, their different pain points, their needs, really focusing more on them. I took that knowledge and I was able to bring that back into the marketing industry have a yeah more thoughtful approach to how I conduct my campaigns, knowing that there's always a user on the other end. They're not just some number. You got to remember who they are, what their particular journey is to, to still get them from awareness to purchase, but doing it in a more thoughtful way. I really appreciate that because there's that is one of the things when I was in that first role doing you know credit card marketing it was all numbers there were no people there were no faces there was no interaction with the user uh that was actually one of the reasons i wanted to get into advertising and then eventually into coaching was because i just kept getting closer to real people and and seeing the results of what i was doing i think uh you know there was this one time i was working on these like postcard mail campaigns that's how long ago this was wow. and uh and we were, we would just literally just send out postcards all day, every day and get response. Like we would check the bit.ly links and we would do all that kind of stuff. And, and I'm like, what am I, what do I, I don't even know who gets these things. Like I know their locations in the country and in the world. And then I see a spreadsheet and a pivot table that I'm messing with. And then, and then I just send more of the things. I'm like, I, I really have no idea who is on the other side of this or what they look like mm -hmm. or what their lives are like. And that is such a great insight that you got of going from that numbers-based kind of 
mm-hmm. at scale marketing to the like the beautiful thing what you of UX design and 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 really like you're interviewing users you're you know right. getting data you're trying to see you know do those uh, heat maps of where they're looking on screens mm-hmm. you're, you're you're really digging in and seeing not just the the behavior of the user but also their face potentially. Um, And so that's a really cool insight to bring back into the marketing world. And especially if you're gonna go this more ethical route, you really have to be aware of who it is you're talking to. So now that you have that perspective, how has it changed your approach to marketing? How has it changed the way that you think about, you know, balancing that that business to customer relationship and and things along those lines? Right, right. I mean, it's, it's definitely changed the way I view, I guess you would call it the buyer's journey. I mean, there's user journey, buyer's journey. I mean, they are pretty similar, except for with the user journey, a lot of times it doesn't always end in a purchase, but in marketing it does, but there's the parallels are there. And so that's what the biggest thing I've changed about it is doing more research into my audience. We even create avatars, just like in UX, same thing, knowing more about where does this person shop? What are their main pain points, their needs, their desires? Um, you know, are they, do they have a family? All these different points along the way to better craft who I'm, who my message is going out to. I've dug way more into that side of things since I've come back to the industry, trying to understand my buyer more and then crafting my entire campaign after I do that part first. So it's a lot of research up front, understanding how to get them from awareness to purchase and making sure along the way, you know, that it's not just one full stage. I mean, they go through multiple stages before they actually want to buy or book a call, whatever it might be. And so I would say that's the biggest thing that's changed is my research heavy focus and having better um, empathy for who's on the other end. Cause I'm not going to just send out mass um, emails or mass uh, marketing. I do a lot of Facebook advertising. And so I am looking at the data, but I'm still coupling that with still understanding my user and how I can change certain messages. For example, I'll just, I'll give you yeah one example here. So I design what they call sales funnels, right? Where I bring a customer in that doesn't know who this business is. And I take them through a series of stages digitally to get them down to what they call the bottom of the funnel, which is when they're ready to buy or book a call, whatever it might be. So recently we, uh, we've been running into some interesting bottlenecks with some of our funnels where they're called B2B funnels. So meaning that we have a client that wants to get book calls from other businesses. So we bring these uh, other businesses through a funnel to book a call with that client. And one of the stages in the funnel is where they have to fill out an application to see if they qualify for this program or service. And the really interesting thing I've, I've been seeing lately across multiple funnels is people will go in and they'll fill out an entire application, sometimes up to 10 questions about who they are, if they qualify financially, et cetera, why they want to be part of the program. And they'll get to a, after they're done with the application, they'll get to another page where they can schedule a call to learn more about the program. And for some reason, we were having a drop-off rate where people would apply, but then not book. I was just like, you guys are going through this entire process as you get to the end and you just can't select the date. Like, why not? And I did a little research on it um, and some testing. And I found that the reason why is because a lot of them didn't know what the call was really for. 
they would get done with an application, but not really know like, why am I getting on the phone? What's the reasoning behind it? It would just be a, a scheduler, but no reason. So what I did is I had my, my sales guy go in and create a quick 30 second video. Hey, congratulations. You made it through the application. Really excited to speak with you on this call. We're going to discuss this, this, and this all benefit focused, right? For them. And, uh, just quickly book a time below and I'm look forward to speaking with you. So he introduce himself, say what the call is about the program and kind of uh, just move them toward that call. Once we implemented that, I mean, our booking rate went up dramatically. Wow. And so it's just understanding more about their journey as opposed to looking at just the numbers. I dug in to figure out what was their journey from application to call to understand more what they needed to nudge them uh, to book that time. And that's really the beauty of marketing. It's supposed to be about uncovering insights to how people behave. And that's really my favorite part of marketing is the behavioral side. You know, uh, people always ask like one page or two page resume. Well, I mean, there's a million answers on it, but think about human behavior. How do people behave? How much would you read, right? cover letters or, or, you know, sales messaging or emails. Like I remember one of the big fights I always had at at a company where I was doing a lot of marketing was um, the number of call to actions in an email. I'm like, it should be one, but there's like 15 in here. Uh, And, and 15 links. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and, and that really at the end of the day, in my mind is the true value of marketing. It's people who are, on their best days, providing value, simplifying things, and providing more context for people to make decisions. And I really think that that's, uh, that's kind of whenever I'm thinking about it, it's like, am I providing more context? Am I giving more detail? Am I making things easier and simpler for folks to interact with? And, you know, I, I think being so far away from the marketing world now, I'm probably doing a lot of things very wrong. Uh, a lot of what you're talking about is making me go, we should have a separate conversation, but, but yeah, it's uh, it is fascinating to see, like, there's like the romantic idea of marketing of like being this art and this like way of, you know, selling Heinz ketchup that like will speak uh, yeah. to your soul. Um, <laughs> and then there's white gloves. Exactly. Right? And then yeah. there's the, uh, and then there's the negative view of marketing, which is this like scammy. Everyone's just trying to get, you know, out for themselves kind of a thing. And then I love this ethical view of it, where it really is about a relationship building process between the people that work at a company and, and the people that buy from that company. Mm-hmm. And that, that relationship building aspect seems to be, you know, I don't, I don't know how uh, every company will implement it in different ways, mm-hmm. but having that mindset, especially for young entrepreneurs and, and for small businesses and, and for agencies and things like that is Definitely the way to go. Cause I mean, with everything retention, like you said, is so important. And, uh, you know, if, if there was, if there was something that you could go back and do differently, if you were to Mm. look back at, you know, all the moves in your career, Mm. what, what would be something that you would go back and, and do differently with what you know now? Mm -hmm. What I know now, man, it's a really good question. I would say I would have, stuck with that first business longer. I leapfrogged a bit when I started with my, you know, the a video platform for accounting students. I leapfrogged into a marketing agency. I think I would have, if I could have stuck with that longer, I think with anything, you know, you, 
as long as you don't give up, I mean, that's very cliche, but it is true. Like, because as humans, we, you know, we, um, we try new things, we get feedback from that and hopefully we improve. That's the idea. So that's kind of how I, how really anything works. And they say, don't give up, which doesn't resonate with me as much, but I know what the meaning behind that is. Cause if you do give up, you no longer have data points. You no longer have feedback. You can't keep iterating to improve. That's kind of the idea. And so that's what I would have done differently is stuck with that first business and just kept trying new things. Cause I know eventually it would have clicked and I would have had like a more, I guess, successful subscription platform. That's kind of what I was going for. Um, but it was very challenging that business. Um, so that's kind of why I did leapfrog a bit. I think it was more of just like, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm tired of failing. And at the end of the day though, man, failures, it's the best thing there is because that's how you learn. Absolutely. And so, uh, if folks were to try and find what you're working on today and follow along with, uh, your journey, mm-hmm. what, what would be the best place to point them? Yeah. I mean, definitely connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm on there. I guess you can we'll put your LinkedIn right, right here on the screen and also in the description. Yep. I check there most often. I'm, I'm not a big, uh, I don't post often, but I do like to support my colleagues, you as well. I, I always like your posts just because I know how the algorithm works. And I'm like, let's give, <laughs> give Marty a much a nice appreciated. Here. <laughs> much yeah, appreciated. So I'm always there to support other people, uh, content creators. So I'm on there for that. And yeah, feel free to connect with me. Awesome, Nate. Thanks so much for joining. Um, is there anything else that, uh, you know, is on your mind when it comes to marketing or anything that you're studying right now that you think is really interesting mm. that folks should be aware of? Yeah, that's a great question. So my agency has recently transitioned to what we call B2B marketing. So helping other businesses market to other businesses, basically. We were in B2C prior to that. So helping businesses market to consumers, right? The masses, which in my industry, B2C is um, just less challenging than B2B. B2B, there's a lot more money in place and there's a lot more systems that you need to be put in order to get results. And so during that transition, I've been learning a lot more about the B2B space to get better at that because that's where we're moving our agency and it is um, the most lucrative and you can have the highest um, as far as bringing more revenue per client as opposed to less revenue and lots of clients. That's harder. So that's the area I'm trying to get better at is the B2B marketing side. I'm always learning. And um, as of recently with the most recent clients, I'm starting to dial it in and see results, which feels really good. But that's been the biggest challenge. So I'm going to keep trying to get better at it. I love it, man. Well, thanks for joining us today. Good luck in all your endeavors. And I appreciate you sharing us uh, a little bit more of an insight into the marketing world. It's, it's a fascinating field. It's necessary for even individuals now going through the job search. And that's a totally different area that we touch on in the future. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it's becoming more and more essential. And I think anyone who's on social media definitely sees it. And so yep. uh, it's good to have these kind of different ways to look at it from the you know, mass marketing to the scam to the ethical side. It's, it's really nice to sort of see the full view. So I appreciate you jumping on today. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for stopping by this episode of the Career Therapy Podcast. It's been a pleasure having you. And if you're curious about what we do here at Career Therapy, head on over to www.careertherapy.com. 
to see all of our coaching options, resources, and links to other things we got going on. If you would like to share your story on this podcast, something that you've gone through, a transition you've experienced in your career, whether it's getting a job after college or going through a layoff or getting back into the workforce after raising your family, we would love to hear from you. Head over to linkedin.com slash in slash Martin McGovern and shoot me a DM. Let me know what's going on and I really like to share your story with the world. What we're trying to do here is really normalize the emotional side of the job search because we all go through it. We all have tough times in our careers and sharing these stories really helps people feel less alone and feel more empowered to take their career back into their own hands and make something of it. So thank you again for stopping by. If you'd like to leave a like or a comment, subscribe or share, or leave us a review on iTunes, and I think maybe even Spotify, we'd really appreciate it. Best of luck to you in all of your career endeavors, and I'll see you on the next episode. Cheers.